Welcome to the voice of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and I'm joined today by Beth Clayton, attorney at law and Democratic activists. Hello, well, hello. You're really a, more of an operative, aren't you? I'm whatever you pay me to be. All right, well, <laughs> there you, you don't go. get paid enough to be much. Then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Susan Britt, associate editor of APR, producer on this show, and my wife, and very brilliant woman indeed. Well, thank you, dear. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm prejudiced. I live with you. <laughs> but if Mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. That's it's true. true. Susan is one of the best researchers in politics. Uh, thank you. Anywhere around. Thank you, thank you. Uh, this past week, there was a big blow up at Lead Academy, which Lead Academy is Montgomery's first charter school, and which it resulted in the principal being fired. Mm -hmm. Now, she had some serious problems with Charlotte Meadows, who's the, the president of that school, and Charlotte Meadows is the Republican nominee for this district to, to represent in the state house. And Susan, not only some illegal activities accused of doing some illegal things, but just some downright stupid stuff going on at Lead Academy, according to people who work there. Let me put the big one out there. Says just just example of the small things going on there. You've got one class of 70 students with one teacher. That's All right. too many. Now that's not that's bad unsafe. Well, let's go further. The only room they have big enough for that class is the cafeteria that they can't use because it's a cafeteria. So those students, ever since school started, have had an outdoor classroom in this 90-degree-plus weather. With one teacher. With one teacher. They did tell them that they would get them a, a, an assistant as they had, if they could find them. Yeah, and that right. was the, the one they found could only assist maybe two times now, a week. Teachers over there how are, are they, but I'm sorry, how are they, if they have 70 students outdoors, and I'm assuming these are elementary school age students, yes. K through six. which are not known for their ability to sit where you put them. Exactly. Um, how are they securing these children to make sure that two of them don't just wander off somewhere? That's the exact concern of the teachers. That's terrifying. Yeah. And these parents really need to be asking for answers on that. I mean, well, and the other thing you, people don't realize, charter schools are, in fact, they, they're privately owned, but they're funded by state and federal dollars. So it's our tax dollars going into the school. One of the other, the, the teacher said there's basically no room to discipline. One teacher was mm -hmm. struck. In the face. In the face by a student. And then they wanted to discipline him, but Charlotte Meadows stepped in and told them they couldn't because... It would be bad PR for the school. So they put the child back in the same classroom with the same teacher he struck. But right. isn't, I'm sorry, isn't a lot of the people, and I don't have kids anywhere, much less in Montgomery Public Schools, but I mean, isn't one of the issues that parents in Montgomery have is that Montgomery Public Schools are not well structured, the students don't have enough discipline, there's a lot of chaos in those schools. Mm -hmm. So part of the argument for bringing in charter schools was to help provide a choice for right, parents right, away from right. that. It looks like it's just the same song and dance, but funneling some money to Bob Riley instead. Exactly. Well, Charlotte Meadows has been a protege of Bob Riley, Bob, former governor Bob say. Riley, <laughs> and she has been big on pushing for these charter schools. Now, she's the head of this, this the board over this charter school, you just have to wonder what happened when Democrats were getting money off the schools, the Republicans lost their minds. 
Are there Republicans? We don't have a Democratic Party to lose its mind. We lost right. it years ago. Yeah, well, right. there, that's true about but that. Let's don't forget now, Charlotte Meadows was one of the ones that was in that whole uh, grade-fixing thing a few weeks, years Montgomery. ago. She was on the Montgomery yeah. School Board. Uh -huh. Question, yeah. though, would she be affected? And I honestly don't know the answer to this. Would she be affected by the double-dipping laws? Well, that's that's a question. That, that is a good it question. It is not, because it's not a state school. That's mm -hmm. my understanding. So if a public school teacher runs for the, for the legislature, they have to quit and lose their retirement. But if Charlotte Meadows, the principal of the school, probably making good money doing it, well, runs. she's she's a, she's over the board. She's the president. Right. So, but she doesn't have. That, well, she's a Republican. Oh, they don't have rules. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> anyway, anyway, they they officially fired Nicole Levy, uh, Ivy, Ivy, on Thursday and, night, and uh, she's got more to say. The AEA is is filing a lawsuit. Right. Backing okay. her in a lawsuit, right? Well, and and, and and Charlotte Meadows also went in or had wanted to have Ivy make the teachers sign a right to work an at, at will. will an at will. I'm sorry, an at will contract right after school started. Now this is a time when the teachers couldn't find another job somewhere else because the school year had already started. The the contract said that they would be subject to pay decreases if they need to. They would be subject to having to work weekends and overtime or and and not be compensated for it. And just all this kind of ridiculous that, word. And the right? thing is, they didn't do that up front, Beth. They did that on the backside. Right. And I, I do not practice employment law, so take this opinion as nearly a lay opinion. But it's my understanding that if you're offering new terms of employment, you have to offer some new consideration with that. Otherwise, it's not binding. Well, evidently, they offered the consideration of sign it or be fired. I don't know, but yeah, I don't think uh, that counts. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> uh, the mayor's race is coming up uh, next. Uh, this coming Tuesday in, in yep. Montgomery. It's been a heated right. race uh, in a city wow. that sometimes can be polarized over history. We know it's been polarized by race. This race here for mayor has Stephen Reed, a black man. Facing, the son of Joe Reed. Well, you know, I will get to that. And David Wood, a white guy. And after they they clashed and there's a runoff, David Wood basically started a campaign that said, hey, I'm the white guy in this race. Now, the other part of that is what, Beth, you just brought up, that Stephen Reed is the son of Joe Reed. And Joe Reed has a suspect uh, reputation in Montgomery for being a wheeler dealer uh, and a political Political power. Yeah, I don't much care for him. I think the bigger point here, though, is that Stephen Reed's counting his own ballots, and that's something that we really need to look at. I mean, he is the probate judge right now. Probate judge oversees municipal elections, and I think if he wants to move it forward with some degree of transparency to set himself aside from his father, the best thing he could do is step in and ask maybe the Secretary of State or somebody else who has the authority to oversee those elections so that he can show he's not carrying his father's legacy forward. I think we got about point. We got about 10 seconds left. It looks like, to me, the polls I've seen, Joe Reed, I mean, uh, Stephen Reed will Same thing. Uh, I walk this I think away. he's, what, but 23, 23 points, points Yeah. The people around Stephen Reed assured me that he has kept his father at arm's length and that he will run the state, run the city as his own man and not his father's. I son. hope so. I hope so, too. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the possibility of a deep horizons, too.
Energy Institute of Alabama promotes reliable, affordable, and clean energy to help grow our economy, create high-paying jobs, and build public support for Alabama's energy industry. The Energy Institute of Alabama is the best source of energy industry information and how it affects households across the state, from convenient energy production to alternative fuels to solar power and beyond. What are you doing today, babe? I thought I'd head down to the lake with the guys, do a little fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seat belts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all. Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Hello. I'm William Wyatt Bibb, the first governor of Alabama. On December 14, 1819, Alabama became the 22nd state to enter the Union. This year, we celebrate 200 years of statehood. There is no better way to commemorate our 200th anniversary than by registering to vote and securing your government-issued photo ID. Together, let's make a difference for Alabama. Beth, we all still remember the Deepwater Horizons disaster that mm -hmm. spilled hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil into the Gulf Coast. It was devastating yeah. to the Gulf economy. Yeah, it was. And, and hurt the entire Gulf and hurt businesses throughout Alabama, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's not forget 11 people died during that explosion. Yeah. Well, there were rules put in place after that that established certain procedures, certain way that things had to be maintained. There had to be <clears throat> certain pieces, vows put in place and inspected on a regular basis. That was under the Obama administration. Under the new administration, those have not been totally rolled back, but what they've done is they've instituted waivers. And now a group has brought a lawsuit that says these new waivers could lead us and will lead us to another Deepwater Horizons oil spill. Right. I mean, it's entirely possible. And I mean, if you look through, you know, I know I'm a liberal, so I'm over here, you know, loving regulations and stuff. But if you listen to the conservative viewpoint, they say businesses should be able to, you know, make these decisions and the, the, the free market will hold them accountable. But the fact is, some of these companies are just too big to be held accountable by the free market. They, it's less expensive for them to just break the law and pay the fine than it is to actually comply with the law. And so I think what the Trump administration's doing in implementing these waivers is making it where they can check off and say, oh, we've done this or that to make sure that we're being compliant, but they're not actually protecting the people that they say they're going to protect. And if you look at any of the regulations throughout history that have come into the business world, whether it's, you know, you have sweatshops on fire in the 20s and children dying and all of these things, it's there because there was a disaster and somebody said, we can't let that happen again. So I think it's just, it's 
petty partisan politics if we're going to roll back these very valid rules. And you, you said, you know, that this is a liberal standpoint of regulations. This is just common sense. This right. is not liberal. It, it's not conservative. It's common sense. When when the blow is what's called a blowout preventer, that's what failed during the Deepwater Horizon. Okay. So it had not been tested in five years. And that happened last time it was tested was 2005. The, the blowout came in 2010. Now, after that, they said, okay, the Obama administration said these need to be uh, tested on a regular basis. They're not doing that uh, anymore. They rolled it back where they're not actually testing. And we're talking about a PSI here of 20,000 plus. We're well, talking about some really heavy duty and I think pressure. The, I think the thing that I would like to add to that particular conversation is that we know that oil in the water is bad. It's bad, right. for, mm -hmm. bad for fishing bad for tourism, it's bad for life. Mm -hmm. And so we want to stop those from happening. Now, we can say these rollbacks, though, are really more in the sense of waivers. It's not that everybody gets to do it. It's that if you come to the government and you say, I, I don't want to have to do this, or I don't want to have to do that, they say, well, okay, you don't have to do it. But they don't, it's not blanket that everybody has to do it, right? Right. So it's even worse. If you hire the right lobbyists, you don't have to do it. <laughs> Speaking well, of there lobbyists, you go. when the, you know, our, our reporter, Eddie Burkhalter, broke this story this week, and uh, immediately the Department of Interior called and said, oh, no, you've got all this wrong. They don't have to use waivers now if they have, let me get it right, alternative procedures or equipment. Equipment, otherwise known as a workaround, a regulation. Yeah, right, right. So if I don't want to use this this valve, this thing, I can use an inferior one because <laughs> it's cheaper. But again, the thing is here, we like you said, we need to use common sense when it comes to environmental issues and dumping hundreds of millions of gallons of oil in the Gulf mm -hmm. is bad for business. Right, and it not, yeah, not to business. mention we've just spent how much money on the Mobile Port yep. trying to make yep. sure that it's deeper so we can handle more business coming through. What would it do to business if we had another right. spill like this? No, bad oil spill, bad for business. Clean water, good for business. Now, I understand they're about to put another rig out there built by the same company as uh, Horizons was built by. And it really hasn't been thoroughly tested yet. From my understanding, they're kind of just going to put it out there and see if it blows up. Well, they're going to go deep. They're going to go deeper. That's what they're going to do, and we'll find out. But again, there's a lawsuit that's saying that they should not be allowed to do this. We'll see how it plays out in court. Something odd happened on the way to Sunday school uh, <laughs> last week. Uh, yeah. We, we were looking into an appointment in Hale County. In Hale County, uh, the Ivy administration appointed a woman named Rosie Lyles mm -hmm. to be uh, on the board of registrars. So we looked up Mrs. Lyles, and lo and behold. It's like a simple <coughs> Google search, right? The like, first, like mystery. The first, item. first Google search turned up <laughs> that Ms. Lyles, back in uh, the <laughs> early 2000s, was charged with six counts of uh, voter fraud. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A point. I thought only yeah. the Democrats were doing the voter fraud, though, right? So they're apparently she, she, is, she a was a Democrat. Oh, uh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, I mean, but seriously, though, guys, I mean, if we want to sit here and talk about election integrity, we can't have the fox guard in the hen house. I mean, if you get charged even with voter fraud, I mean, it's my understanding she pled down to something yeah, she else. Did. But still, I'm sorry, no, you but, can't, you can't sit there. Here, here is the stick. Here's the kicker. We call the Secretary of State's office, and because it wasn't something do, to do with moral turpitude, there's no law that says if you've even been convicted of voter fraud. You can't be a registrar. So it's not there. Governor Ivey's office said that they common sense. <laughs> Governor, so point them. Governor Ivey's office said they were not. They had become aware of it after Ms. Lyles was appointed. Did they not Google it? No, no, they didn't. no. And they actually said they didn't. They didn't, they didn't do background checks for low-level things like this. It's the voters. Yeah. It's the voters. As as as, as I think John Archibald said. On Twitter, he said, in this state, we don't, you know, people that commit voter fraud, we place them in charge of voting. <laughs> you know, we, that's how, that's the reward for cheating yeah. is you get to be well, in charge. Well, cheat better and don't get caught, guys. Come on. I mean, Lord. But anyway, it's just one of those instances where you go only in Alabama. And you know, when you hear it, you go, I, did I just hear that? Yeah, exactly. That, that, she couldn't have just said yeah, that, really. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, she did. Not her fault. If you're just worried about voting, go to Hell County. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Hey, I'm Jamie Johnson. When we reach the age of 18, voting becomes our civic duty. But what if it was our job? We wouldn't be so quick to call in sick or go back home if the lines are too long or just dismiss the idea altogether. Elections are also how we collectively write the song that tells our story, and voting is our solitary voice. So register to vote and go get your government-issued photo ID and add your voice to the song of Alabama. What a great opportunity for your success. Adding half a million highly skilled employees to our workforce by 2025 is how we stay ahead in Alabama. Our economy is stronger than it's been in years, and a skilled workforce is more important than ever. Things move fast, so choose your path. Your success is waiting, plus a great future for Alabama. Success plus. Go for it. Hey man, what are you doing today? Um, playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later, maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a half on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. of Alabama politics. The country is greatly divided over impeachment, and we are not going to get an agreement uh, right now from liberals and conservatives or even moderates. Anyone. <laughs> no one has total agreement here. What we have looked at over at APR 
is what are the mechanics of impeachment? The founding generation, when they wrote the Constitution, put in the documentation that the president, the vice president, and certain federal officials mm -hmm. like judges should should be impeached if they commit acts of treason, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. There is a process prescribed by the Constitution, mm -hmm. and that is where we are in an impeachment. The first part of an impeachment involves basically making an accusation. We're not even there yet, but the first fundamental thing is that the Congress, the House, looks at evidence, makes an accusation of wrongdoing. There have been nine federal judges removed from office through the impeachment process. Mm -hmm. But Beth, the first thing that has to happen is the House has to look at it, and then it goes to the Senate. Kind of take us through that a little bit. Right, so the first thing that's gonna happen is someone in the House will say, I have a problem, and they'll raise their hand, and they'll say, I want to discuss impeachment. And then they will present sort of their case for why, what they think is going on, and then the House will vote whether or not there is sufficient information for it to move forward. And at the point when the House votes, it just has to be a simple majority. So 218, I think is 435 divided mm -hmm. by two. Um, that, when that vote takes place, now you say the president has been impeached in the sense that they're not removed from office. Right. They are just, it goes to the Senate, and then the Senate is the trier of fact in the sense of the you know, president or whoever the elected official is who is under impeachment. They, it behaves much like a criminal court, right. but it's not a criminal court. Mm -hmm. The impeaching party puts on their side, the defendant puts on their side, and then the Senate votes to decide whether or not there's sufficient right. evidence to remove this person from office. And that's simply, the impeachment process is not a punishment. No. It is not a criminal trial. It, is, it involves removing someone from office. And this was what the framers of the Constitution argued for. In 1887, or 1787, mm -hmm. James Madison at the, uh, the Constitutional, Constitutional Convention argued that presidents and vice presidents should be able to be impeached, mm -hmm. but that the primary way we should remove them from office is through elections. But he argued that if it became, if their conduct became fatal to the Constitution, or fatal to the Republic, I think mm -hmm. is the way he put it, then they should be removed from office early. And Susan, they, they use a phrase, we understand what bribery is, we understand what treason is. Where it gets a little murky is what is a high crime and misdemeanor? And that's, that's been set through precedent and historical you know, reference to it. So kind of give us your interpretation. Yeah, the very, very specific, in the Constitution, very specific what bribery is. Very specific what treason is, and that's really written out. High crimes and misdemeanors, not so much. That's right. kind of a vague area. High crime basically means a crime committed, or alleged crime committed in a higher office. Misdemeanors we think of as, you know, small level crimes, you know, like not paying a parking ticket or whatever. That's not what the framers meant. That it doesn't have really to do with a crime itself. It has to do with more of a misdeed. Right. In other words, if someone, and I believe a judge has been removed for this, refuses, uh, an elected official refused to show up for work for six months. Right. Well, you can't have that elected, that, you can't wait for an election 
you know, for four years. Well, to have, a, have a federal judge has a lifetime appointment. Right. So you have well, to impeach him. To exactly, get you have to. And, so that would, that, and that, that's kind of the sense right. of what that, that means there. Well, that's sort we, of a dereliction of duty. Exactly. Right. When we tangle up misdemeanors in the high crimes and misdemeanors sense with misdemeanors and the felonies and misdemeanors exactly. sense. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it's more of like when you think about in a corporation, if you have an officer, they can be removed for like misfeasance, malfeasance, nonfeasance, all of the feasances. It's mm -hmm. kind of that category right. of you have well, an oath of office and what have you done with your oath right. of office. And so the, 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 the here, and, and where, why that's important is because so many people are saying, well, he didn't commit a crime, so, you know, we shouldn't have impeachment. Well, yeah, because the, the Constitution says that even in malfeasance, showing up to work drunk or whatever, you know, can, can, can start that process. Right. And, and that, that this is what they have, they've decided that it is, they have, the Congress has broad latitude. Mm -hmm. And again, if you think of it as a misdeed or a dereliction of duty or not honoring your oath of office, those would all be fit under the category of what these constitutional lawyers and all have in the past prescribed. And that's, that's kind of, that's the process. Now, if there was a crime, committed. The crime would be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. Again, impeachment is not about punishing someone for a crime. It's removal from office because uh, uh, there were accusations that were, were accepted by the Senate. And that, that's how we get there. It's pretty simple. Right. Now, something important in that, in that if you, if you think back previously in other administrations, whatever, it, the, the actual beginning of the process does not mean that it will ultimately end in impeachment. No, right. This can stop at any point. There could be, the, the Senate could decide not to take it up, which I understand they're probably going to do. But there's any any number of places that this can stop in the process without actually removing him from Again, office. I am not interested in talking about what this group or that group will do in this process because it is way above our, what we normally do. Mm -hmm. What I want people to understand is we've had We've had House members say that you know it ha you have to have committed a crime. Not true. The uh, the actual from the Senate right. uh, uh, from the Congressional Resources Group says finding that impeachable offense need not be limited to criminal conduct. Mm -hmm. That was issued in a case against. Walter Nixon in 89, he was a judge. Well, and I, I think you make a good point. I don't know how we're doing. We got a little bit of time left, but in the sense of what we are seeing, though, is politicians on both sides are using this to fundraise Absolute. and to spread misinformation. Absolute. Yes, they are. And I would just encourage the public to get the facts about what this actually yeah. means. Absolutely. And I think that's important. Well, we had some sad news over the last two weeks. Congressman Jack Edwards, he was retired from Mobile. He passed away as did uh, Representative Pete Turnham, who was a state representative for many years. They will both be missed. War Eagle, Representative Turnham. All right. Well, you've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us because we watch them.